Section number 24 of Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Link Wilfley. Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts by David Alec Wilson. The Leopard as a Killer of Men. 4. Its Way of Doing. How could you be sure that this kill was done by this particular leopard, and not by another? Was my frequent question variously answered according to circumstances. It had a style of its own, one seemed to feel, after hearing a few of its exploits. There were instances of men hunting it, whom were killed instead of killing, but curiously enough, its most peculiar feat was a failure from the leopard's point of view. It went into a big village one day between four and five o'clock in the afternoon, and in broad daylight strode through three-quarters of it, passing between two rows of houses. Swiftly as it seemed to sweep past, it must have been going slower than usual, for it looked right and left as it went, sending piercing looks into many screaming interiors. Near the farther end, it turned and walked straight through the open doorway into an old man's house, without pausing, as if it had come by appointment. The old man was alone inside, and lay dozing. It took him from his bed, and carried him away, and strangest of all, instead of going to the outside of the village near that end, retraced its steps by the way it had come. Min's shouts now mingled with piercing screams, and the old man's cries for help, and the leopard saw in front of him, blocking his path, nine or ten men with big sticks. By the grace of God, they had found it in their hearts to face the monster, with no better weapons than these. Give honor where honor is due, there was courage needed for that. With the dexterity of a Boer commander, who had ambuscaded a detachment but found an unexpected hostile force in his rear, the leopard grasped the situation and changed his plans. Turning aside and passing between two houses, he escaped unhurt, but dropped the old man, who was also unhurt in body, though badly shaken in nerves. The long evening hours did not drag so much as usual that night in the village. But by three or four o'clock in the morning there perhaps was nobody living there who had not forgotten his excitement and fallen asleep, and now the hour was at hand when the cocks would wake in the world, but there was a ruder awakening than usual that morning there. From the old man's house there rang out piercing yells. In a few minutes every man within hearing had come to it, with whatever weapons were at hand, and as many as could enter crowded in to hear the old man's story. I was sound asleep, he said. I seemed to dream of a rat gnawing something beside me, and gradually between asleep and awake, I began to hear a kind of scrape, scrape, scraping. It was so strange that I grew broad awake, trying to make out what it was. Then I knew it was some beast on the mud roof above me. I lay and lay and listened, and wondered what it could be. It sounded like dogs at first. But I concluded it was something else. No dog could scrape like that. I thought of going outside and looking, but I felt too tired to be bothered. I lay and lay and looked inside at the inside of the roof where the scraping was. I did not expect to see anything. I looked there, just because the scraping was there. 
The place was there, right above my face as I lay on my back, just as I was taking kind of a last look. Before falling asleep altogether, I saw the leopard's two eyes shining at me through the big hole in the roof. There's the hole. There was indeed a hole, and some of the villagers said that in running up they saw the form of the leopard disappearing in the moonlight, and the roof outside showed marks. Nightmare, I suggested, but Bingham would not allow it. The marks showed that a leopard had come, and I had to admit that, though there was no direct proof that it was the identical leopard, the odds were about a million to one that it was, if, as the privy council judges have suggested, as a good rule in doubtful cases, we pay regard to the likelihoods arising from known habits and undisputed facts. I have simplified their verbiage, but that is their meaning. End of section 24 Recording by Link Wilfley.